0: Hi, everyone. If you're listening to this, this is the Clown Car Podcast. With the 2024 election underway, I thought this would be a good time to launch a show where I discuss politics and current events. Um, My co-host is Ines Stepman. She's a policy analyst for The Independent Women's Voice, and her work has appeared across a wide variety of publications. If you're a reader of the Richard Hanania newsletter and you don't want to receive this show, you can just go to your settings on Substack and you could choose to receive my articles but not the podcast or vice versa. Uh, but I think most of you will enjoy both. So without further ado, here's our conversation for this week. Hi, everyone. Uh, Welcome to the show. Uh, I'm here with Inez, and we're recording this on uh, May 25th. Um, This is the Day of uh, this is like the first day of the um the 2024 election. I mean, it's appropriate we're doing this today, uh, because Ron DeSantis is now officially a candidate. Um, he kicked off uh, last night with a Twitter space um, that didn't really go well. So every you know every headline, you know, you probably see the montages of everything from Fox News to the New York Times to uh, you know they're receiving a political story about all these DeSantis boosters in the media who are always also saying what a disaster it was. Um, so he comes in. 20- 25 minutes basically late there, you know, you've, when you've had like a glitchy zoom call, it's like in and out. And it's like frustrating because it's, it's not, it's like waiting, but like, you never know if it's going to work or when it's going to work. So I, to me, that's like the worst kind of waiting. And so people are just sitting there on Twitter waiting for this thing to kick off. And um, yeah, I mean, the idea is that it's disastrous, but you know, who knows, sometimes these things have sort of short shelf life. So, so what do you think? Do you think this is something that's worth focusing on? Or do you think this is something you could just sort of get past?
1: I mean, we'll see, I guess. Uh, I saw Ramesh Panuru had a funny tweet about this, where he's like, "What this is like if uh, in 2015, the, the escalator bringing Trump down had just like glitched out and stopped <laughs> and he had to walk the rest of the way down or like he tripped or something like that. Um, do I think it's ultimately extremely important? No, um, although there's no replacing the moment where all of media is focused on you, right? That's kind of the point of announcing is to get all of that earned media. Um and where every you know news channel is forced to cover your rally or whatever it is, and there's no retrieving that moment for Ron DeSantis. Um, so I do think it hurt him in that sense. But do I think people will cast be casting their ballots like in Iowa, you know, many months from now based on this like glitchy spaces? No, um, I do think it's a larger. I think it might hurt uh, sort of the Elon Musk project more, which actually is a project I may be more invested in um, to, to try to take some of these, these pivotal campaign moments out of the hands of traditional media. I think that's a really important thing to have to do, but, uh, this was not a good, you know, sort of first foot out of the gate, uh, for, for Twitter as a media company. So
0: you think it was bad because the, uh, because it just showed that they weren't sort of ready for prime time.
1: Yeah. I mean, look, they should have anticipated having, that many people on the space. They they should should have been able. I mean, if if Musk's whole pitch is like, we're gonna make Twitter into this competitor, like a real competitor to um, you know, to legacy media, I mean, that they, they weren't that, right? Um if you look at DeSantis's launch or um, interviews, for example, on Fox or whatever, um, you know, they they went a lot smoother. And I think even Fox had a headline that was like laughing at the fact that, hey, if you want to actually hear what Ron DeSantis has to say, come on over to Fox where we're giving him the traditional interview for a presidential candidate. Um, You know, the fact that Tucker is moving to Twitter, right? Obviously, this is sort of what Musk is trying to make Twitter into. And this was not a first, a good step forward, a good first step forward, I should say. Um, And that, I mean, I'm very much in sympathy with that project. So I hate to see it fail, but in the, the, in the uh, interest of being objective, like you can't say this was an auspicious launch, that project.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I was. I never thought of the, the Musk project as competing with uh, cable news as much as like uh, YouTube and and Substack. But no, I, I could see I could see that, too. Um, yeah, I think the way, you know, the way I look at it is there's only like, okay, so he's, he's the guy who's behind, right? There's three polls that came out the last few days that show him about 25, 30 points behind uh, Trump. This seems like everyone agrees this is the state of the race. And there's only a few chances of like, okay, everything has to go right and he can get that surge, right? Um, and so like, you know, the debate's you know, assuming there's debates and assuming Trump shows up, this is one particular case, right? The launch is like one of like the five or 10 most important things. It's maybe the most important, right? It's, it's certainly up there. And if the launch comes out and, you know, and I actually was reading like a lot of like media before, uh, he, uh, uh, before he announced. And it seemed like, you know, the media got bored and they were primed for sort of a narrative of like, this is DeSantis, this is DeSantis comeback. Uh, there was a tweet from Steve Carnacki uh, which I, uh, which, uh, had something that I forgot, which is that, like the Hillary Obama race in uh, 2008. It was my recollection was like, Hillary was always ahead that Obama just eventually surged ahead, but it was like, no, they, they tightened for a bit. And then Hillary like pulled back up. And so the question was, could DeSantis be like Obama in 2008 like, OK, he had a little surge, he dipped a little bit, and maybe he would come back. So a lot of people were saying stuff like this, like, oh don't don't count DeSantis out because the narrative you know people get people get bored with the narrative, so they switch to something else. And so I think like there was almost like they were rooting it for it to go well, just because they'd have like a story to tell, right um, And then it didn't end up working like that, obviously, the glitch, and that just became the entire story um. And so, yeah, this is, this is difficult. I mean, nothing, not never one thing is like, you know, the end of, you know, the end of the campaign. But I think if like, you know, it's like, like how could good, could it have gone like one to 10? This is like, this is like two or three. (laughs) This is like close to the worst case scenario. Do you agree with that?
1: I don't know if I agree with that. I mean, again, I don't think this is particularly important. I do agree with what you said that there's, you know, if you're behind, you've got to change something in the dynamic of the race. Um, And you probably only get a few points to do that. No, I don't, I don't know that I agree that his launch was ever going to be that. I mean, I just, I I think something else has to change. There has to be a direct conflict between Trump and DeSantis or something has to happen to shake up the race in some way. We still have a long way to go. There's still a lot of surprises in store in terms of what's going to happen in the country and in the world. But I mean, he is the one who needs something to change. And so to that extent, I agree that like, this is, he's missed one of what might be only a handful of opportunities to try to change the trajectory of the race. Whereas Trump kind of, he's the presumptive front runner. He can just sit there. Um, he doesn't really have to worry, you know, about, about such things. And of course he's the meme Lord, right? Like the stuff that he was, he was, the hay he was making out of this was just hilarious, right? There's no way um, it puts Trump at his best. Uh, although I, I will say the interviews that DeSantis gave the t- more traditional interviews on Fox and, and, uh, I mean, Look, maybe it's not what the Republican primary voter is looking for, um, but DeSantis does make a very good case about all of the structural deficits of the right and how to fix them. From you know, sort of immigration to the unelected bureaucracy that seems to make so many decisions, uh, political decisions in the United States. I mean, he he really seems focused on the right problems to me. But whether that's actually something that the Republican base voter is more interested in, I, I have no idea.
0: Yeah yeah that that that's true i think you know he does have you know a grasp of policy if if, if this was an election of like smart right-wing policy wonks, um DeSantis would, would run away with it it would be very easy for him right um it's obviously not that it's it's, it's like all you know the, the republican primary voter who has you know all kinds of sodium idiosyncrasy i think in like 2016 it was like oh we learned that like the Republican voter was not like national review, right? National review had like that never Trump, uh, that never, uh, that never Trump issue. And it was like, Oh, voters want something else, but it's also not like anti woke intellectuals either. Right. It's like, it's, it's like its own thing. That's like not connected to sort of the, uh, uh, you know, sort of the intellectual space. And so it's like, I think we need to like try to understand like the Republican voter, um, on their own terms. And I think, I think you're right. And dissent is like, when he talks about like, uh, accreditation of universities like that's like a that's like a great issue for like a republican to talk about that's a great issue for someone who's concerned about the uh, about the culture wars right Um, it's not the uh, you know it's but it's I don't have any you know suspicion that any voter is going to find that you know attractive besides these wonky types. Uh, what do you think about what do you think about the the like the substance of the um of the Twitter space? I thought it was very weird. I mean, I thought it was the strangest thing. Now, this is I I can blame DeSantis maybe more directly for, uh, unlike the glitch. It's like he gets there and he just he starts reading a stump speech. I mean, and that is awkward to just sit there on like a Twitter space and like read a speech. And you could sort of tell he was reading it. Didn't even like make it sort of sound like he was uh Uh, he was like he didn't even make it sound trying to make it sound spontaneous and to me that just just shows like a bad understanding of sort of optics and PR Uh, what do you think
1: yeah I mean I think it it, it was essentially that's why I think it actually reflects worse on first in some ways on this like new media project than anything else right it reflects that we still don't know what we're doing and this is again a project that I support wholeheartedly I think is really really necessary for the media landscape but You know, it was sort of amateur hour all the way through. We still haven't figured out how to to make even the appearance of of credibility um, in in this new space for the average person. Um, And so I think that that's, you know, that that, that's something that if I were Elon Musk, I would be like very heavily sort of planning and workshopping out, for example, what the next thing like this looks like, whether that's Tucker or somebody else, because this kind of winging it, it has did not work at all. Um, I guess I disagree a little bit with something that you said. I think the divide between the Republican base and say the national review types, um, yes, there's always, and obviously it always has been a divide between people who sort of follow politics like you and I, like very, very closely and people who are shockingly doing other things with their lives. Right. Um, that that's always been the case, but I, I think the, the divide was more substantive in 2016. I don't think it was just a matter of sort of the intellectuals versus the hoi polloi. I think, I think it was, um. You know, th- there were some substantive issues where there was a big disagreement between basically not only the establishment of the Republican Party, but most conservative intellectuals and the average Republican voter. I mean, immigration, trade, right? Um, th- these are some big and substantive issues in which there was a disagreement. Now, now we what we're seeing, I think, and again, I, I take issue with the idea that, for example, some of these cultural war issues that DeSantis is hammering on are, quote, unquote, very online. I mean, the, the feeling that if you say the wrong thing at work, you're going to be fired is not very online. You know, we have polls to back up that 65, 75 percent of Americans feel they can't, you know, say obviously true things at work without, you know, fo- running afoul of, of um, you know, HR and the the sort of uh, culture police, Right. And I, I think the 2016 wave under Trump, yes, had to do with some of those substantive issues like immigration and trade, but also with this perhaps ill-defined feeling that something very uh, essential about the American way of life culturally was slipping away that we were turning into a fundamentally different country and um, I think that stuff is not quote unquote very online now maybe it's up to DeSantis I don't know if he can like maybe he needs to retool how he talks about some of these things maybe he needs more everyday examples instead of keeping it on the policy level like that's all could be true and I'm not even really evaluating him as a candidate um, I just I just think it, the, the response being that that oh we shouldn't bring up you know these issues about uh woke corporations for example like that that would take us backwards to 2012 in my view to another completely failed iteration of the Republican Party.
0: Yeah I think that you're yeah I think that that's right that a lot of these issues do pull well. I think you can even Uh, run on them, these things like critical race theory and wokeness and political correctness. I don't think – I think if people see it, though, as sort of as your main message – uh, I don't think that looks good. I think that people sort of have this, like, category in their mind. Okay, a president should – for like, so when you ask people, you know, in polls, like, what is the most important issue? It's always the economy or it's something close to the economy. I think people are just, like, they have this idea of, like, okay, poli- like, the most serious thing you can do in politics is, like, budget and, like, you know, high-end sort of macroeconomics, like, big picture, right? And that's – fine. I mean, it's fine to bring up the wokeness. Um, and it's fine to bring up these culture war issues, which conservatives are winning on. But with, de, I mean, with the, the Desantis, and I think this is a problem with a lot of right. And this is sort of gets to being uh, too online. Is that like it becomes everything? It beca- or it becomes almost everything. I mean, in the um, in the Twitter space, and maybe this was the fault of the questioners. But there was not, you know, there was very very little about economics. Um, very very you know, very little about sort of inflation. And not, not like voters understand these things, but like they feel like people should be talking. Them right um and it's just not there and that's 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 the two online criticism i think not that he has too far right-wing views on these issues it's just he prioritizes them too much
1: so i've heard both right so it it, it might look i agree with you that usually the the top issue is the economy especially when the economy isn't going well that being said you know back in 2019 the economy was going well under trump right um And furthermore, for the first time, you had a kind of uh, blue collar boom as well, right? So not just overall GDP, these kind of like top level metrics were going well, but actually purchasing power for the working class in the country was finally starting to edge up after very like stagnating for decades. So in all ways, the economic picture was improving before COVID. We were still at each other's throats. And not just some like, you know, elite online or whatever it is. Um, but ordinary people still very much at each other's throats. And it, so to that extent, yes, I, I mean, if, if you're having difficulty making rent, right, um, if you're having difficulty making your grocery bills, that has to be the first priority for any voter. But I, I, I don't think these are side issues. Now, can they be talked about in a silly way? Like, is Kid Rock shooting up a bunch of cans of Bud Light? Like, is that really the top priority of any voter? No. Right, very few. Um, but I, I I don't know, I, I think actually some of this conventional wisdom stuff is backwards about economics and, and culture. I think it's it's a bit of a you know what's the matter with Kansas sort of analysis if we can throw it back to what's the matter with Kansas where basically you have Democrats saying like what's the matter with all of these um, you know, white working class voters, uh, George W. Bush is dangling gay marriage in front of them like a watch in front of their eyes and they're not voting their economic interests, they're voting on these these divisive cultural issues and that's illegitimate in some way. And I I just don't think caring about the you know the culture in in the school that you send your kids to is is somehow like an unimportant or secondary consideration to economics. Um I don't think that's how people think about it. Now maybe I'm very online. Who knows? But like uh I certainly spend a lot of time on Twitter. But I I just I think this is kind of backwards. I, I think there is this pervasive sense and actually that that is That is the part of the Republican platform that appeals to a broader audience, even people who disagree with us on economics, right, or or disagree with the conservative analysis of economics, whatever that even is these days. Um, I I think that it has quite a bit of appeal to moderates, independents. um, That being said, yeah, I mean, like, if you repeat the word woke 50,000 times in every interview, like, I can see how it just starts to become grating and seem like you're avoiding answering more substantive questions about the economy for example
0: yeah yeah i mean well, you know we have to sort of differentiate what's going to work in a primary versus general election i think the republican primary voters probably cares more about the uh the cultural issue than maybe uh, so he's not he's not trying to win swing voters at this point that's not the that's not the point um well like you know if th- this idea about being too online you know so uh there was a so you watch the trey gowdy interview there was a question about what do you think about russia and ukraine right and he goes well the military's been politicized and we've wokeness in the military and he does like 25 seconds of that and then like 5 10 seconds of like oh we need a settlement in ukraine like that that's what i'm talking about i think Yeah that's that's, that's right.
1: actually what i was thinking of when i said like just using the word jamming the word woke into every answer um th- that that question like that answer came off as ingenuous right it came off as in i think the trick with the culture issues is probably to uh, you know talk about them find a way to talk about them in a way that actually very much connects with the experience of, um, like I said, like people who are worried about being fired at work or worried about what their kids are learning. Um, and I think that there is a way to do that, that really is a very potent political force, even beyond the base of the Republican party, because these are the issues where you get, you can get 60 or 70% of Americans because everybody feels this kind of cultural noose tightening around all of our necks and people don't like it. Um, and, and I think it is like, again, I, I don't think I just I, I just take issue. And I know that's not really what you're saying, but I've seen a lot of that analysis online. Um, that's basically, oh, like, you know, talking about these cultural issues is a niche thing. It's like something that elites care about. Um, and, and actually, at least in my experience, it's the, kind of the opposite, that there are plenty of elites in the media who would desperately want to stay away from a lot of the cultural issues because they think that's like icky and what the the rubes care about. And they want to talk about the quote unquote real issues right about whether the gdp has increased by you know half a percent or a percent and and i I think that that's just i think that's backwards
0: yeah i sort of think about the way that uh like the democrats um the democrats approach these things and like a lot of their views the a lot of the views of their coalition as you know are very extreme right like you know they can't define woman, blah 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 i mean they have you know just like the the democratic orthodoxy has been very extreme on gender on race on abortion and all these different things and you know they do like i think that obama and biden did a very good job and hillary did a, you a know, poor job because she sort of led with this sort of identity stuff but i think biden and obama like forget about their policies but the way they go about it is like Oh, I'm just a normal guy. I'm gonna make Americans' lives better. Uh, Republicans are uncaring, you know, unfeeling people. They, you know, they wanna give taxes for the rich. So on, I mean, they really lead with that. And then like they do a good job of always pretending like they are just like the culturally neutral or moderate figure. Like, I'm just the guy here trying to, you know, tech be a technocrat and run the government well and balance the budget and and you know, whatever, help poor people. And then you have um you know and then you have the uh uh the republicans it's always like they are trying to take your rights away they're trying to do something right it's never this like apocalyptic you know the culture is changing it's like it's like a, you know a presenting some kind of you know mo- moderation and i think that like republicans sort of need to do i think a little bit more of that i'm trying to think of like what the right wing equivalent uh of this would be um maybe they can't because like like obama and biden know that it's like leftists like basically the you know corporations and you know civil rights lawyers and uh uh parts of the judiciary and you know all these other you know dei uh offices uh throughout every institution are going to sort of do that work for them but i think i I think that's the challenge here just like talking about wokeness talking about the culture war, caring about these things but also not seen as like sort of the aggressive side in all of this and i think that's hard yeah
1: i mean i think that's that is just part of Owning the media, right? Um, the reason that everything is framed as Republicans' pound. So, right? the the left has been the aggressor in the culture wars for fifty years. Um, and but when, whenever Republicans actually, or or the right in any any case, uh, pushes back against anything, it's framed as like extreme or angry or like irrelevant, right? Um, and it's really political mal- malpractice on the part of Republicans not drawing this out. I mean, we shouldn't be allowing Biden. To take that sort of I'm just a regular guy, moderate on these issues kind of stance. I mean, just start to list the things his administration has done. Right on Title IX, they've redefined sex. It doesn't get more radical than that. You know, what do you think? If we had an actual media, right, President Biden, why did you? Why did your um, you know agencies redefine the word sex in civil rights law to include gender identity, include you know men walking into women's locker rooms and playing on women's sports teams? This policing, um, I I can't remember if it's a dear colleague letter or what, I think it's a dear colleague letter, right? This policing dear colleague letter that suggests that it might be a violation of civil rights law to send police to the places where there's actually crime because there's a disparate impact, right? These are incredibly radical cultural stances that are right there in black and white coming out of the, the Biden administration. So, you know, it seems to me that it's all you need to do and all you need to be as a Republican is brave enough to just start pointing at these things one, one after the other and saying, well, what do you think? Maybe in a debate, right, putting Biden on the spot and saying, what do you think about this thing that came out of your administration a year ago? You cannot dance away from this thing.
0: Yeah. Uh, yeah, you're right. Of course, the media is sort of, you know, the media's bias is sort of the, the main landscape here um, that, you know, we're all operating under. Do you think Republicans like do a good job of this though? Because it's like, you know, they, they're they not completely helpless. So like if you look at the Title IX stuff, right, um, you know, they, they do stuff like all the time. Like I remember there was a uh, Biden wanted to confirm some ambassadors or something. And Ted Cruz early in the Biden administration was mad because they were going to let the Nord Stream uh, pipeline go through. They weren't uh, doing what they could to stop the Nord Stream pipeline, um, and so like he like made this like a big priority. And Grandstand did about it. this was before you know Russia of course invaded Ukraine, and then the uh, you know the pipeline went away anyway, um, but. You know, I never see that. Like the Title IX stuff, I never, I never see that. I never see them, you know, trying to like push on a civil rights thing. And, and a lot of these things, like a lot of, I think, this gender theory. A lot of the civil rights law. A lot of the uh, uh, race based policies. I think Republicans would have a, um, you know, would have a good shot at you know winning public opinion on. But they never, never do this. So can we blame the media for this? With like Republicans are sort of you know uh, out to lunch on these issues.
1: Yeah, I mean that that was the second part. Is it's it, look? That's what I would call political malpractice. You're not. They're not they're afraid. And either they agree on substantive points, which is more common than people think it is. Right. Especially staff like Republican staff uh, that, you know, the number of Republican staff members, important staff members who are functionally on the opposite side of most of the culture war and like race and gender issues as as the Republican base is high. Um, But but they just they're, they're still they're still operating. Many of them are still operating in this, you know, failed 2012 autopsy universe where. The worst thing they could possibly do is is touch the you know a cultural issue even from ten feet away, right? They, it's seen as divisive, and they're still really worried the New York Times is going to write a head, bad headline about them, calling them a racist or you know sexist or whatever it is. And and the the reality is, um, I, I think I agree with you. I don't I don't I think the country is is ready for a conversation about these issues because it has gotten so extreme that somebody you know who's brave and articulate. Can actually start to push harder on a lot of this stuff, um, and and would actually end up putting Democrats on the back foot I, I, to some extent. We've done it with women's sports, right? Um, and and this is one of those issues that I ultimately it is important, but is it the most important thing to the country's future that men not be able to swim in women's sports competitions? Right? Like, no. Um, but what it reflects about the underlying nature of our law and our society is extremely important. The ability to distinguish between men and women um, is extremely important. And so I think in in some limited cases, I think you do see Republicans who are starting to put their toe in the water and realize, like, actually, these are popular issues. You don't need to be so afraid. Um, but but a, a large percentage of them are just they're afraid to talk about it. And, and I don't see how we can ever win on something where even most of the representatives of, of the alleged opposition party are afraid to say anything about it.
0: Yeah. And so is, that's, that's interesting when you said that, uh, you know, Capitol Hill and, you know, sort of uh, Republican staffers much better than I do. Is, is that right? That they still, a lot of them are sort of liberals on social issues because it was like with judges, for example, um, you know, they used to go both ways, but now, you know, conservatives have done a pretty good job of vetting, you know, the judicial uh, nominees. Is it true that like the staff, like, I think that most things are becoming sort of more polarized, but you're saying staffers, not, not so much staffers are still, there's often a lot of liberals working for conservatives.
1: Look, I, I, I have met quite a few people without, you know, throwing anyone inv- individual under the bus, but I, I've met quite a few people who held views that I would consider to the left of the center of American politics in terms of cultural stuff. Right. Yeah. And they're working for Republicans. Um, you know, a lot of times that they just our, our our whole apparatus in D.C. Um, again, a lot of them hold the view that actually. It is bigoted to open some of these conversations about race, right? It is bigoted to open some of these conversations about sex and gender. Um, they, they are still so afraid of those words that they still hold so, such enormous power over their psyche um, that I, I, look, I think it's changing. I hope it's changing. Um, actually, one person, I have not been particularly happy with his performance as governor, but I think his run really did prove something. Uh, was, was uh, Governor Yunkin in Virginia. Right now you have a Democrat plus 10 state. Um, and it shows the broad reach that you can actually talk about. You can talk about education. You can talk about gender ideology in schools. You can talk at that time about critical race theory in schools, right? Um, and, and you can actually bring people to the big tent of the party by talking about these issues. Because there are a lot of people who are moderate on a lot of different issues. They might've voted for Democrats in the past, right? Um, but who are very open to what Republicans have to say about what their children are learning. You know, the, the um, trans issues, the, um, the, the fact that like, we are unable to have meritocratic, uh, you know, testing and admissions into schools because of, of racial preference, right? They're very open to be taught to talk about those issues, even when they're totally not Republicans. on like almost any other issue. They might be for universal health care from the government. They might be, you know, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But but they are concerned about these issues. I think it's the, the exact opposite of the way that people think about those issues in Washington D.C., which is those are the scary, hard right issues where you really only talk about it if you're directly talking to your base. Um, and and when you're talking to a broader audience, you need to talk about tax cuts. And I actually think, in many ways, it's the reverse that actually that and, and tax cuts are not as popular a policy as Republican staffers think that that they are. And a lot of this cultural stuff is more popular than they think it is.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I think that's, I think that's right. Um, so the, the state of the race right now, like where, where, where do you, where do you see it? Do the the conventional wisdom sort of become Trump is if not inevitable, the heavy, heavy favorite, uh, you know, how, what good of a, how good of a chance do you think DeSantis has
1: that? I mean, I gave up making those kind of prognostications in 2016 when I was completely wrong. um, No, I mean, it's hard to say that this is not a similar setup to 2016, especially with everybody else in the race. Um, I I think a Trump versus DeSantis matchup would at least be some kind of fight. Um, I do think that the way that DeSantis has delivered on certain of these issues, I mean, you would have a real sort of matchup between rhetoric and and results. And, um, you know, we'd see that. Although I I do think there's a large element of trust as well in there where people just trust Trump, um, because he's already pissed off all the right people. Um, so I think people just have that there's a certain type of Republican voter who's lost faith. I mean, rightly with the Republican party after successive nominees, they keep being told, you know, electability, electability, you know, John McCain is electable. You may not like him very much and his policies might be to the left of where you are, but like he's electable. So we should elect him. He lost, you know, we should elect Mitt Romney because he's reasonable and, and soft spoken and, and uh, doesn't attack, uh, Barack Obama in ways that might be called bigoted or whatever. First of all, he got called a bigot anyway. And, um, uh, and he lost. And I, I think there's a certain, uh, type of Republican who's really, really fed up with being told essentially who's electable. Um, especially when, when their guy won and, and the establishment guys lost. Um, and so I, I don't know. Do I, do I think that it's more likely than not that Trump will be the nominee? Yeah. Um, but there's a long way to go. Uh, I think one of the factors that has yet to play out is how many of these other candidates are going to stay in the race. How well are they going to do, or whether it turns uh, pretty early on into like Trump versus DeSantis.
0: Yeah, and if you were so the the way you know the question is that if DeSantis does have a shot, how does he how does he do it? Um, so he doesn't really. Like, you know, I thought maybe like he announces this thing and maybe he goes on his head, maybe he starts like actually taking the hammer, like really trying to attack Trump. But now it's sort of this passive aggressive stuff. I saw this one video DeSantis War Room put out where it's like we can never let Operation Warp Speed, uh, you know, um, uh, overcome informed consent or something like that. It's like, OK, he's criticizing Operation Warp Speed. He's taking a, a hit of Trump. He's not even really opposing Operation Warp Speed. He just says, like, we can't. Like warp speed, like trample people's rights. I thought it was a very sort of like Weasley kind of criticism, but it's, it's always like this. It's like, you know, I'll be the guy who's not, you know, who's not on social media. I'll be the guy who's, you know uh, you know, who cares about this and that it's never, you know, attacking Trump directly. So, I mean, is that the right strategy or does he really, does he need to do something else?
1: I mean, what is the right strategy? Nobody's been able to go up against Trump yet. I mean, he just calls you a, a funny name and, and makes everybody laugh and, Makes you look small. I mean, I, I don't know that there has been a successful run against Trump yet. So you know, maybe DeSantis has a new playbook uh, to try. But it's certainly a, a, he's a formidable opponent in that way. Um, I mean, I think from his launch, it seems like what he's going with is, you know, Trump is funny and says all the right things. Okay, I'm going to do the right things. I've done them in Florida. Here's my track record. I mean, whether or not that works, I mean, the, the strategy. I think is just, and this is an obvious thing to say, but if, if he can win one of those early primaries, if he can win Iowa the way that Ted Cruz did, um, although again, didn't help Cruz in the end, right? Um, If he can win Iowa or New Hampshire, set himself up uh, to actually have some, some delegates in his column, then maybe he can really turn to the rest of the field and say, you know, what are you still doing here? Um, It's clearly a two man race. There's no figure like Obama, though, in the uh, no equivalent figure in the, in the Republican Party who can really lean on everyone to get out. Like Obama basically cleared the way. Um, he made everybody drop out so that Bernie wouldn't get the nomination. Right. Um, and there's no equivalent in the Republican Party. Uh, and there's there's a sort of prisoner's dilemma where it's to the benefit of each one of these other candidates to stay in. Um, and yeah, I mean, that, 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 that sense, it does look very much like 2016 to me.
0: Yeah, that's, that, that's right. I think what DeSantis is doing, and here's what I think is the mistake, is he's running, like, almost like he's the front runner. I think he's running a very risk-averse campaign in the sense that, like, you know, where, where are his risks? He's, playing to every part of the republican base right like there's not a single thing where you could say he's against the republican base like you know even the ukraine stuff like you know what he thought that tucker uh you know wanted him to say something or what he his picture of what the base sort of wanted he sort of just gave that answer and then like walked it back a little bit but not really there's there's just no attempt to take a risk on the policy area but also um like no risk in the sense of like picking a fight with Trump or like being too, you know, being too sort of, uh, uh, you know, being like too aggressive and going after him. And I think what he's hoping to do is he just, he just stands there like Republicans. I'm the guy who gives you no matter what flavor of your Republican you are. I'm the conservative candidate. I'm going to give you what you want. Um, and then hopefully what happens to Trump? He like he dies or he, uh, you know, more likely. And this is not very likely either, but like he just, uh, you know, like all the indictments and stuff pile up, you know, just the Washington Post just had a story about the uh, uh, about the documents thing, the federal investigation into that. And it's amazing. I mean, it was like Trump, like cleared out the documents a day before, like the FBI was coming in. Uh, you know they were. Um, he had a dress rehearsal for like hiding documents for the FBI, and they all they know this. I mean, this is this is incredible. This seems like it's going to be an indictment. Um, the Georgia uh, investigation also seems highly likely to be an indictment. Um, so you're you're going to have probably two more indictments of Trump. And I think he's just like, okay, like if I fight with Trump, maybe he like destroys me, maybe it just becomes terrible and I, you know, I fall. So I'm just gonna sit here. I'm gonna sit here at twenty percent and just sort of hope something happens and then I'm the guy there. I think that's the strategy. And whether that's the right strategy or not, I don't know. But it seems like that to me is what he's doing.
1: I mean, waiting for Trump to self emoliate has not worked so far.
0: Exactly. Yeah.
1: So uh and I don't just mean that versus DeSantis. I mean, that like we've had a long string of people waiting for Trump to finally cross the line to a point where his voters uh, would turn on him. And that has not happened. I think it's very unlikely to happen despite these indictments. So if that's the strategy, I think it's probably a poor one, but um, you know, I guess stranger things have happened. (laughs) I've been amusing myself with the possibility that Trump could win from prison. Yeah. Um, that would be that'd be fun, especially since the president can't pardon for state crimes, yeah. and a lot of these things are state-based indictments. Yeah, so, so
0: he'd rule uh, he'd rule from a New York state president.
1: Then, yeah, yeah. I don't even know what happens. Um, the U.S. goes into a constitutional crisis, uh, but yeah. I mean, yeah. is is that do I think that's likely? No. Do I think it's impossible? Also, no.
0: Well, they set the they set the, the trial date for the uh, for the New York uh, charge of March 2024. So this is like around the time of Super Tuesday. So this is going to be the trial is going to be starting like while you know in the midst of the uh, primary voting. Uh, and you're right. What does happen if he? You know, I think it's probably you know, the criminal probably probably take a while. I mean, the, the odds that he gets convicted and sentenced uh, before uh, he becomes, but like, what if he's president? Like the, the trial is ongoing. You're halfway through a criminal trial and he becomes the president, right? What does he do? He just he just shows up to the inauguration and then goes to his court and then goes back. People love the show. That's why people want Trump. People, I think that there is a deep desire for the entertainment value. And it's just getting more and more entertaining as time goes on. I mean, you think like, oh, last season you can't top like january 6th or something like no he's gonna be president from prison it's like this is this show's gonna keep getting better it's 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 like jumping the shark but it doesn't jump the shark because it's like it's like real life so like you don't have to say is this plausible like no it's actually happening
1: yeah i mean there's definitely a fun element to all of this um and and trump is a master of that yeah right there's there's just no way to compete with trump on that uh on that score. I mean, I think in that case, that particular lane, I think DeSantis would be an absolute idiot to try to compete with Trump. Right. Um, <laughs> you know, maybe, maybe like, but I don't know, I don't know that you can avoid it. Right. Look at how he like eviscerated a lot of his opponents. It's not because he has a better, you know, sort of platform. Although I do think there were important substantive elements, as I said earlier, uh, that made him appealing to a large part of the Republican base But, yeah, there's a World War or sorry, WWE (laughs) element uh, to all of this that is just unavoidable, super entertaining. And it happened here with this launch. Right. Uh, Trump immediately tweets out like six different memes about including a a truth. Sorry, a truth out, including a truth about his big red button. Uh, There's just there's no top in that. You just can't do it.
0: Yeah. He goes, you know, my red button is bigger and stronger as Kim Jong-un of North Korea. Like right, will tell you, and it's like, what do you say? The Kim Jong Un looked at your button, looked at DeSantis's button, knows that yours is bigger, and like, yeah, it's it's of North Korea. I love that too. It's like not the not the other Kim Jong Un. It's just it's just so stupid. It's just like so stupid. But it's like, yeah, it's what the Republican voter apparently loves. Yeah, I mean the the the, the collapse, the self self immolation thing. I mean, it's it's even crazier at this point than it was before. The first indictment helped him. Like that's the consensus, right? okay, a second indictment, a third, they're going to be like, I'm sick of this. Like, I don't, I don't think so. Like, I think that, you know, without question, not without question, I mean, there's always a chance that something happens. There's a straw that breaks the camel's back. Um, but I think the b- most likely scenario is that these things, these things help them. Um, and then you have to think like the news cycle, like, oh, this launch, like didn't go well for DeSantis. The news cycle is going to be from like now until the primary is going to be two more Trump indictments. Like that is going to eat up uh, whatever. whatever are we? Uh, we're in. Uh, we're end of May. So until like uh, you know February. The uh, uh, so that's like eight months. Yeah. So you're gonna get like a month or two of, for each indictment, right? So like half the cycle is gonna be Trump getting indicted, which Republicans seem to love, right? Which makes Republicans like him more. And like how much time and how much space is there for uh, Desantis to uh, to catch up? I don't know. You know, if I maybe you, you just have to take risks. You have to sit there and you have to say, look. I don't know. I don't know. Like, do you say like the indictments are justified? Like he's going to say like it makes him unelectable or whatever. You know, people aren't buying it. People have seen Trump come back from everything. Like I almost, you know, I almost wonder, is there a way to say like he's actually guilty or like he actually did endanger our national security? It would be a risk. Oh, the classified documents thing, you know, OK, Georgia, you know, yeah, we, we, you know we're not going to challenge January 6th. We'll say that was all a liberal conspiracy. Uh, but then he could say, well, national security is important and jack smith did a good job like could he do that could that possibly work
1: no i think he, i think that would be the totally wrong i think i think what the only argument he has is is to say i'm the one who's gonna clean up the fbi i'm the one who's gonna clean up the doj like uh, you know these these agencies forgetting for a moment about the state and the state diamonds like these agencies are are spent much of the election um in 2020 and in 2016 uh, playing in American politics in a totally inappropriate way and in a way that's, it might be more scandalous than Watergate. Um, And he says, I have a plan to fix this. Trump is mad and he's unfairly being persecuted, but he didn't do much about it for the first four years. Um, And in a a key part, because he he wasn't strategic enough uh, about how to handle an obviously hostile administrative state, Um, that's the reason he's, he is where he is right now. Um, I think that's, I look, whether that's something that, that lands, I don't know, but I think it's the only thing he can do.
0: Yeah. I, I mean, I feel like the problem with this is that it's like you're, you're constructing a narrative or you're going along with the narrative in which Trump is the hero. Like he was the president, he tried to do great things for us. There was the FBI and the deep state. And this is like Republicans have been eating this stuff up in right wing media uh, for the last several years, right? And and it's still like a story with Trump as the hero. Oh, by the way, I'm DeSantis. I'm going to come be and be the guy to fix it. Like,
1: I mean, I, I think he, I think you can make the case that he 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 may be the victim, but that he's a, a, a sort of dupe in all of this. Okay,
0: um, you have to call and, him a dupe. You have to yeah. say he's a fool. You have to like yeah. go a little bit. Stronger. I think that's
1: yeah. Look, I, I I don't really like the way that um, Desantis is is. I think passive aggressive is a fair way to describe it. Like he'll he'll sort of obliquely hit at Trump. He is at some point going to have to actually run against his primary opponent. Um, the question is, if he does that, you know, will Trump's voters basically never forgive him for it? And that, that's a that's a real it's a real possibility. So I don't know. Look, I. I Whether Trump or DeSantis is the nominee, what I'm more concerned about than who ends up as the nominee is the way in which, so what is worrying me so far about this cycle? Look, if we have, um, and I think Matt Walsh said this on Twitter and very much agree with him, if we have a cycle where Trump and DeSantis are trying to outdo each other as to who is more conservative and more right wing and more representative of the Republican base, I think that's actually good for the Republican Party um if we have a news cycle where Trump decides to backtrack and hit DeSantis from the left um I think that's really bad and I've already seen that happen right we saw the the Nikki Haley who's very clearly running for vice president in a totally disingenuous sort of way um you know Nikki Haley goes on and tries to hit DeSantis over the Disney thing right um saying like oh well we welcome jobs to South Carolina as though it's it's you know, 15 years ago, and and nobody understands um, that that this corporation has wielded direct political power on behalf of the cultural left, right? Um, if we go back to that kind of framing in an attempt to hit Ron DeSantis, that to me is a disaster for the Republican Party. Um, or similarly, I saw like, I mean, not not to overly elevate uh, Laura Loomer, right? But she's she's interviewing some of these like grifter guys um a couple black guys who apparently follow trump around all the yeah. rallies like ultra trump, for, fans. For trump yeah um i don't even know if they're part of a group i don't know whatever um but but like the guy is saying some really stupid stuff right um just completely stupid stuff and there's like there's this wing of sort of boomer trump fans that eats this up in in this really pathetic like dems are the real racist sort of way like just oh he was calling desantis a racist for Acting Against critical race theory in, in K-12, right? That if if that becomes the narrative that a large part of the Trump base picks up because it's against Ron DeSantis, to me, that's a disaster, right? Because it's playing into all the most important frames of the left in order to like flip the bird to Ron DeSantis. To me, this is the essence of cutting off your nose to spite your face.
0: Uh, along those lines, what do you think of those ads where Trump is attacking DeSantis from the left on entitlements on like social security and Medicare?
1: That I think is probably a really potent attack. And, and I mean, this has always been a a just Trump has, has always run on this. I think it's probably a reality of where even the Republican voters are that, um, look, if you, if you look at the math, it doesn't work out. Social Security was, was built in a time where people, uh, you know, died in their late 60s or early 70s and they had, you know, three, four or five kids. That's not the world that we live in anymore. The math is wrong. Um, but I don't think we're going to do anything about it until, it actually collapses, right? Um, until the checks can stop, have to stop going out. And it's very clear that a large part of the country, including a large section of the Republican base, does not want to touch entitlements. Um, so that I think is like sort of all fair and love and war. Like, yeah, that, that's a fair hit on DeSantis. It's an unpopular position um, that, that, that he took on entitlements. So, and Trump Trump used that position um, quite as, a, as an attack quite often in 2016 as well.
0: Yeah. And then he got into office and actually the, the Obamacare repeal actually I think was gonna cut a lot of money from uh from Medicare. Well was it just Medicaid? Uh, I think they were gonna cut were they gonna cut from Medicare too? It, it was, I mean there
1: was there was no one plan anyway. Yeah. There were like four different plans. There was the Graham plan and there was like a different plan.
0: Yeah. I mean I person I don't like it because you're right that like we're not gonna repeal social security tomorrow or anything. But you know, if you talk to the, uh, the these, wonks on social security maker they say eventually we're going to get to a place where we're going to have to either raise taxes or we're going to have to reform entitlements and it's not good to be putting republicans in the base in like the mentality of okay we're never gonna we're never gonna touch entitlements like you know the democrats think that and the republicans think that uh then i think we're probably headed for a euro style you know a uh, social democracy and i think that's that's terrible so i i don't i mean i think it's effective i think you're right um but yeah, it's, it's a fact but yeah, I, I wish, I wish Trump wouldn't do it. But yeah, I,
1: I just, I just see that. Whereas I just see that as a sort of the status quo, meaning that, um, there are a lot of people, if you look at the, the math, uh, you know, that something has to happen with these entitlements one way or the other, like you say, either we have to massively raise taxes to support them, or, um, we're going to have to adjust the benefit schedule. We're going to have to raise the, the retirement age or whatever, like just, Show me show me the math where you don't have to do that. And I'll believe you. Um, It's just a reality. That being said, it's a very politically unpopular reality. And Republicans have been, you know, sort of shanking each other over this for quite some time. I don't see that as really like a shift in where people are versus, you know, that every one of those people, um, you know, prior to DeSantis being perceived as the challenger and now actually being the, the Trump challenger in this race. Every one of those people sharing that video or whatever of 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 um, you know this guy calling Ron DeSantis a racist for doing something about critical race theory in schools, every single one of those people would have two years ago would have supported Ron DeSantis in doing that. Um, and so, to the extent that this kind of—I don't know if I can swear on here or not—but this kind of poo flinging primary right um, makes people revert to positions that are completely kowtowing to the left. That is a very bad primary for the Republican party in my view. Mm
0: -hmm. Yeah.
1: Damaging to the future of, of like what needs to be done.
0: Yeah. Okay. So that's, yeah. So we got Trump and DeSantis. We got a few minutes left. Let's, let's fit Tim Scott uh, into here. Did you, uh, did you watch Tim Scott's uh, speech?
1: Yeah. I, I watched parts of it and, and then I saw his, his campaign launch website and everything like that.
0: Yeah. What do you, what do you think? Is there anything here sort of worth analyzing that you're getting from Tim Scott? You're not getting from say Nikki Haley or somebody else in the race.
1: I just, I mean, I think he's, he's more, uh, he's a better speaker and, and, um, more appealing personally than Nikki Haley in my view. So to that extent, but like, I, I felt like I was in a time machine going back 15 years listening to him or maybe back to 1983. Um, it just optimistic. Didn't, didn't reflect yeah, yeah it just do, doesn't reflect my understanding of the dire situation facing this country doesn't bring forward any serious solutions to the challenges this country faces in my view um look i like tim scott but what i said on online about him is uh he's not a wartime consigliere
0: yeah huh that's that's interesting and do you think that's where the yeah, we should probably talk about the substance of sort of you know whether, you know what kind of what kind of message is actually you know best. You know, I do think I don't know. Like my 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 instinct is that the Republican sort of base and the way that you know Republicans talk about things has just gotten too negative um for the public maybe you're right you know if even if you're right that sort of we're in a dire we're dire straits in this country um i don't think that like the average voter is that pessimistic Uh, maybe the republican average republican voter is maybe not but i think something like tim scott like i think tim scott would be very you know would probably be the most electable if there was somehow he got out of it i think actually probably would be a smart vice presidential race vice presidential um candidate um but I don't see, you know, much evidence that like the voters want like just people who are angry. I, I just don't see a lot of that, a lot of evidence of that. I do see it on the Republican side, but not necessarily for the broader public.
1: I I think it's much broader than that. I mean, all of those polls that ask about the, the whether the country's headed in the right or wrong direction, it's been above seventy percent think we're in the, in the wrong direction now for years, right? So in in MS uh, the NBC latest poll, seventy one percent, and and that. There has apparently there has never been um, it's never been below seventy percent for the last eight times. Uh, no, sorry, uh, nine times going back to October twenty twenty one. So for for two straight years, you have above seventy percent of people saying we're on the wrong track as a country. Um, and then that that comports with long term institutional polls. So if you look, I think it's Pew that does a um, like long term survey where they. They ask about various institutions. So they ask about the police, they ask about Congress, they ask about the presidency, they ask about um, corporations, like big business, they ask about media, right? And what we've seen is a huge drop off over the last, slowly over the last 30 years, and then precipitously in the last five years of trust in every single institution in American life. And I, I just, I, this, this sort of sunny, happy, optimistic talk to me does not comport with that reality.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think you're right that people will answer polls and they'll say, you know, the, you know, the country's on the wrong track. And I wonder how much of that's just reflecting sort of the media coverage. When you look at like the most popular, you know, so like, you know, you look at Biden, for example, versus other Democrats, you know, was generally, you know, the more optimistic about America. He doesn't talk about doom and gloom and our country going to hell in a handbasket. If you look at like the most popular senators, right, the morning consult, both these polls, um, most popular senators, most popular governors. Uh, it's not like people who are like, it's not like, you know, oh, people who I consider, you know, the most sort of pessimistic, right? It tends not to be like, I think, I think JD Vance and Josh Hawley, I think, sort of have a pessimistic message. Ted Cruz, you don't see much of that, right? Like, so the most popular governors are. Mark Gordon of Wyoming, Larry Hogan of Maryland, Charlie Baker, Phil Scott. So you have these Republicans, right? Chris Sununu in New Hampshire, Doug Burnham, then then DeSantis, then Greg Abbott, right? Asa Hutchinson's up there, uh, KIV, the Senators. I mean, it's basically, you know, it's not the bomb throwers either. I mean, you have Sanders as number one, but after that, you have Josh Barrasso, you have uh, Agnes uh, Angus King, you have Amy Klobuchar among the top ten. So, just looking at sort of which politicians sort of do well and which ones don't, it strikes me that the optimistic politicians tend to tend to do better.
1: Um, I think that I think actually that there's a huge difference between sort of a likability poll and giving somebody real power and leadership. A lot of the people that you listed off, I imagine they have high likability because nobody really interacts with what they actually do. They they remember maybe one or two things because they're not actually in the arena. If you if you're in the arena, you take a few punches, right? And, and not everybody's going to like you. Um, but I, so I I don't think that really reflects. Uh,
0: what about governors though? That's right. that's senators. What about governors? Right? Governors are doing stuff, and the voters who look at them seem to like this sort of the moderate Republicans. Yeah, as but they also period. like
1: Ron DeSantis. I mean, it it's, yeah. first of all it depends very much on the character of the state. Yeah. Um, To the extent that, for example, I think you started with Wyoming's governor, right? Um, I think there's a real, uh, very dangerous sort of trend where some people in red states really don't believe a lot of this stuff is coming for them. Um, That's why you get the more extreme Republicans and stuff, actually, or like political commentators like me or whatever, um, coming out of places like California, uh, because... (laughs) I see I see where where California was 20 or 30 years ago and I see where we are. Um, And it really is like the whole world has, you know, the whole country is going the way of California very, very quickly. uh, And I I don't want that to happen. So, I mean, look, I I think that that it, it could be I could be wrong. Maybe people think it's actually just fine. I think they they tried to the overwhelming sentiment with Joe Biden was, oh, we want to return to normalcy. I don't think people feel we've returned to normalcy. People want to go back to the '90s. I think that's impossible. But if somebody can convince them that it's possible, I could see that being popular. Um, but I think I think the majority of the country sees that this is not a good time. Like you I, you don't have a morning in America sort of vibe. Now maybe the right leadership can bring back that kind of vibe. Um, but to my mind, I mean, like Trump, Trump won, and he he ran a very angry campaign. Yeah. And even in 2020, he ran an angry campaign and he still came pretty, pretty darn close. 30,000 votes across three states is what yeah. put him in the presidency. Like, I mean, yeah. I, I, I I, think there's there is a, a critical mass of people who are not who are clear eyed. And I think they're right about it. I think they're clear eyed about the, the really sort of uh, bad place that this country is in right now.
0: Yeah. So, what do you think about this? There's there's this uh, one Harris uh, Harvard poll uh, that we talked about that has basically the you know the the most popular politicians and the least popular politicians, and I broke them out. And so, the most popular are Elon, uh, not politicians, just figures in general. They asked about. It goes Elon Musk, then uh, Ron DeSantis. Right, backs up what you're saying about DeSantis being popular, but you know name recognition and all that. Uh, Haley, Nikki, <laughs> plus eight, which I see you you don't like very much. Vivek. Ramaswamy plus seven, Tim Scott, and then the least popular are, you know, Hillary minus eight, Biden, minus ten, Schumer, minus twelve, AOC minus thirteen, McConnell, minus twenty-four, and Putin, right, minus forty-eight. Uh so what is the what what is what's the pattern here that you see if Eddie?
1: We don't like any of our main figures in politics. We right? don't like um, the
0: main ones. Yeah, exactly. I think that's right.
1: Yeah. And I, I think that backs up my uh my argument that Americans don't like where we're at right now. They don't like their leadership. Um, It seems to be a bipartisan dislike. The main candidates that we're likely to get from each side are both very disliked. I mean, there's been some polls that show like 50 percent or more of the Democratic Party doesn't want Biden to run again. I mean, that's also connected to his age. But um, yeah, I mean, I I think that it shows a continual divide between the the politics that we have in Washington, D.C., and what Americans actually think is important or challenging or difficult, um, about living in America in 2023 or 2024 as the case. Maybe. Um, but I, I think there is a huge divide there. I think Trump steered directly into that divide and that's a large part of why he won in 2016. Um, but I, I would expect some of those, those positives to drop the more familiar people are with these folks. Right. Um, Elon might be the exception because he's, he's just not a politician. Um, but I, I wouldn't expect those those attributes to remain high. Like Vivek Ramaswamy, for example, can remain high because, he, again, he's not really in the arena. He can make sort of these these very astute speeches. I think he has some really good ideas. I don't dislike the guy. Um, I don't dislike Kim Scott either, by the way. Like if I was asked in a favorability poll, I'd definitely say disfavorable towards Nikki Haley. You're right. But, but the other two, I'd say favorable. I mean, I like them, but I just I, that's a different question to me than who to entrust the, the reins of power to.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Like, I mean, some of these people like, uh, they, you know, all the people probably heard of him are watching right wing media. So I'm sure conservatives have heard of them more than, more than liberals. Um, yeah. And we do tend to dislike the people who have power, right? McConnell. Now, why is McConnell minus 24? I don't get like why I think, I think this is just mostly an aesthetic thing. Um, but we'll, uh, yeah, we'll have to pit a pin in that. I think we should we should probably talk about next time uh, whether Americans are that pessimistic and, and whether they should be. I think that would be sort of a uh, interesting conversation. Um, yeah. and I from,
1: can I can mansplain to you why uh, I think McConnell so unpopular.
0: <laughs> well, I'd love I'd love to hear it. <laughs> yeah, I just, I just I just I just think people are, are lookist and ageist I, I, and sexist <laughs> against his white maleness. That, that that's the only explanation I have.
1: <laughs> I uh, think there are lots more reasons than
0: that. <laughs> okay, okay, well, we'll we'll do that next time. All right, and that's it's been fun.
1: Yeah, it's been fun. Thanks, Richard.